Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. He has a lot of problems. Struggle to be top five in points at the end of the season. Wow. Don't bleach your, your hair, you're, you're a sellout. Yo, what is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Moto Aftermath Show. This is episode number 233. As everyone can see, I'm here solo in the studio. I'm your host, Travis. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in here this week. We are going to wrap up the Atlanta Supercross here and uh, talk about everything we kind of saw. As you can see, Justin's not back yet. He's still uh, going through some personal stuff, so he's still taking a little bit more time off. Hopefully, we'll see him back soon. If not before, then hopefully for outdoors. Um, and Cole, who's been my right-hand man here for a little while, he is, uh, as everyone saw last week, he's got a new job and he is flying to his first week of training here. So we are going to have, um, we're going to have coach Rob on here in a little bit, talk to him about some stuff, see what he has going on, what he thinks of the racing here from this week and, uh, just get all his thoughts. He's always a very insightful guy. And, uh, hopefully, actually, let me shoot a text off here. Hopefully we'll have Kev on and, uh, can kind of talk to him about, about his race here. So before we get started, let's just thank all the sponsors. So the show is presented by our, by complete racing solutions. Check them out at complete racing solutions.com coach Rob, who's coming up, uh, can scientifically help you both on and off the bike with a training program, weight loss program, anything you need physical fitness wise or diet dietary wise. He can help you out with that and getting that all figured out. Also presenting the show. TLR coatings, check them out. TLR coatings.com and at all the major social media, uh, outlets there at tlr coatings um they are michigan's number one custom powder coating shop from two-tone wheels to motorcycle frames to small batch production jobs they do it all they if you're looking for some custom coating, they can do that too uh again check them out tlrcoatings.com they do nationwide shipping so if you guys got project bikes you're working on or project cars or something like that you've got parts you want to get coated uh by one of the top coders in the country then uh feel free to hit them up hit us up and uh we can get you handled uh with shipping and everything so also on board with us holster co uh gutterworks adept creative co isaac nelson design and edgewood farms um gutterworks gonna be presenting our 450 race recap uh i've got (sighs) i don't know if i have a holster co reload rant here i'm coming into this show a little bit underprepared this week i didn't uh didn't take a lot of notes watching the race yesterday because to be honest these uh you know what this is gonna be my rant the afternoon races i love and hate them all at the same time i love the afternoon races because it gets it done and over with i hate it because they're usually towards the end of the year a la right now and the weather was beautiful here in michigan yesterday so like i didn't want to sit inside all afternoon and watch it but i did um so yeah it's it's wild right now uh but i just i i love to hate them and that's my first holster co rant of the day here um is afternoon races like we probably should just have them in the evening like next weekend it's going to be in the evening and i'm pumped about it because normal time 
Okay, so moving on here, uh, let's do our, while we're waiting on Coach Rob here, let's do our 450 race recap, brought to you by our friends at Gutterworks, always well hung, just like Justin Barsha here, and uh, make sure to check them out, Gutterworks, full licensed builder here in the Southwest Michigan area, so they can help you with all your projects around the house there, whether you want to do siding, gutters, any of that kind of stuff, a patio, they can do it all, so make sure to check them out, Gutterworks. And uh, link in the description down below there. Okay, so 450 race results here. So we have Chase Sexton goes out and finally dominates a race this year. No mistakes, no mishaps, no nothing. He leads start to finish there and just basically dominates everyone. Wins by seven seconds. And it was a great ride. Now, I'm still on the camp of I'm holding my breath. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm waiting for him to come out next week and have another incident. <laughs> Apologies there. I don't know what's gotten into me here. Um, that was, I mean, yesterday was a great ride. And because of the rides that Tomac and uh, Webb had, it has now kind of put him back in talks for this points chase. But again, I need to see him string two or three together. Now that's not saying he doesn't come out next week and do the same thing at, uh, at New Jersey there at East Rutherford. And if he does that, even if Webb and them finish second and third, he's now back to low double digits. And then you're starting to get, put him back in the conversation with three rounds to go there. So it'd be interesting to see how it goes. Um, and we'll find out really quickly next week because he'll either put it on the deck or he'll probably win the race again, to be honest with you. So we'll have to see what happens here uh, with Chase? Uh, second place, Justin Barsha. Justin Barsha in contract year is unbelievable. Now, he has signed a contract. He kind of, everybody knew that pretty much, but he did make the announcement, I guess, technically in the press conference this week. Um, so he has, uh, he has two more years here with Gas Gas. And, uh, but man, he is, he is wildly, wildly impressive here. So. Um, all right, let's uh, let's call up Coach Rob here so we have somebody else on the show here to talk besides myself. Boom, new FaceTime. Coach Rob, call him here. Maybe he'll answer, maybe not. We'll always wonder. killing me coach this has been a great start to the show everybody i want to thank everybody for for tuning in here oh okay i guess we're not talking to him right this second all right let's keep moving down the line here ken roxon has another good ride third place there he was running uh chisholm's fork there um he said he didn't have a lot of time on it he tried it the other day liked it they put it on the bike he raced it so interesting to see going forward there how um how Ken's uh how it how his bike continues to improve but he's he's having a quiet good year like he's fifth in points isn't really a surprise um but that's pretty good because you look at the other guys <clears throat> there and it's like Sexton Tomac Webb and Barsha and him and Barsha I guess are pretty close so 
I don't know. We'll we'll have to see how it goes there. Um, but he is uh, he's once again having another good year. What's up, Rockstar? Coach Rob, welcome to the Moto Aftermath Show. How are you today, sir? I'm doing good, man. I uh, appreciate you uh, squeezing me in. We just we've got a little bit of a challenge with our new dog, and we went to town for uh, lunch, but couldn't find an Uber back. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's uh that's amazing because Florida has tons of Ubers, unlike Hobunk Town, Kalamazoo that I live in. So that's uh yeah, that's impressive there, bud. Well, the challenge is the little city that we live in. It's got four breweries. It's got two, um, like, what well, has two? Actually, it has three theaters. It has four breweries. It has all kinds of food and entertaining and stuff. And we looked at possibly moving away from this area, but you know, we go to lunch and there's a couple of places to play pool and you get to drink some beer. And so we're like, yeah, move out of town because what we normally do is ride our mountain bikes down. But where we went. <clears throat> there's a new place that was offering brunch and we hadn't tried it. So we're like, well, if we take the mountain bikes and I don't want this to sound arrogant, but the mountain bikes that we have, um, I actually had my own downhill mountain bike team. So we were sponsored by Yeti. So I have two SB 66s, which are like 15 grand a piece. Yeah. And, and I'm like, man, I don't want to take these downtown and then, you know, quote unquote, lock them up outdoors and then come out and find that they're gone. Yeah. So we took an Uber down, which was no problem, but finding an Uber back because we're outside of Orlando International Airport by probably, you know, 35 miles. Yeah. So it's not like we're close to Dismal World or anything else. So it's tough. I resent that statement. <laughs> I know you do. I know you love that place. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, well, squeezing you on here. That's a, that's a very generous term here. Uh, I don't have any co-hosts, so I was, uh, you know, looking for someone. So I didn't have to sit here and talk to myself for 45 no, minutes. No, I'm happy to help. So. Nope. I'm happy to help. Are we recording? Yeah, we're, we're, we're in it right now. So you, okay. uh, you didn't respond right away. I was like, well, I'm gonna get started with this here and start kind of running through the four fifties. So, um, no, sounds good. so what did you think of, uh, what do you think of Sexton's ride yesterday there? Well, we, we certainly know that he's capable of it. You know, it's the old joke. It's the old joke. If he stays up, are we surprised? No. If he goes down, are we surprised? No. Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was just a perfect race. I don't know about you. I, it's like watching poetry in motion. I mean, he's crazy, crazy smooth. Um, he's just such a mixture of so many athletes. I mean, he's got the, the poise of Ron Lachine. He's got the aggression of Jeremy McGrath. I mean, He's just literally poetry in motion. And I know I don't want to jump ahead, but same thing with Hunter in the 250. I mean, mm-hmm. smooth, calculated, not rushing anything and just poetry in motion. So, yeah, I kind of um, see them as the as the same kind of style rider there. I, I totally agree with that, because like anytime you pan the camera to them they're I mean, dude, their elbows are up. It is a perfectly like square boxed out with the handlebars to keep the bike right in perfect control underneath them it's uh yeah it's very impressive to watch it really is and you know the one joke that i always have amongst myself and michaela is when he's having kind of a day like yesterday where he's just poetry in motion you think he regrets signing with ktm oh i don't know man it's on a day like yesterday yes on all the other days when the front end's going away uh no but then again, you know, that's the that's the million dollar question. Is it the bike? Is it him? Is it a mixture of both? So does a yeah. brand switch change that? Does I mean, do we think or have you heard anything? Is he going to Alden's like he has to be right? 
Yeah, the way that the contract is set up is because KTM, or let's call it the Pierre Mobility Group, because they're footing the bill for it, they have to train there. Okay. Now, it goes back to the million-dollar question. It's kind of like Cooper Webb. Cooper Webb is not doing what Alden says. You know, Cooper's been there long enough where Roger and the guys, they're, they're somewhat in a catch-22. They can't say you have to use them, but he does have to train there. And then, as we've talked about previously, you've never seen uh, Cooper say he thanks Alden on the podium. Yeah. So he recognizes that Alden is not moving him back forward. I mean, the reality of it is all you got to do is look at the consistency of improvement with both Plessinger and Webb. They figured the bike out. I mean, that's the new big revelation. Oh, 100%. Uh, we could sit and talk an entire hour about how everybody, especially the three talking puppets, you know, the idea that they're like, Alden fixes everything. Alden is the man. Well, we didn't see it come out of fill in the blank. Malcolm Stewart the last couple of years. We didn't see it, you know, from go down the list of people that have been over there. And this is the catch-22 because the riders didn't – the reason why they were vacating the program was because they didn't want to continue to pay a percentage, which is a very hefty percentage, to that program. Mm -hmm. So Roger and the, and the guys at the top say, okay, the only way that we can make them do it is pay for it and then put a stipulation in their contract that if they don't at least train there, well, then it's void of contract, and then there's financial ramifications. So that in itself is its own situation. Does Sexton go there? Sure. Does he train there? Absolutely, because, you know, let's face it, Alden has prep tracks, and that's what these top guys need on a daily basis. And, you know, look at Chad Reed. I mean, he was very vocal about how much work it takes to – keep a track prepped and ready to go to the point that he said he wished he'd just stayed with a factory team where all he has to do is show up in his pickup truck. Tracks watered, prepped, ready to go. When he had to do it on his own, he realized, holy smokes, this is a lot of money. This is a lot of time. Mm -hmm. This is keeping me from moving forward. So does he train there? Sure. Does he stay under the finite thumb? That's to be debatable. Um, you know, we know that Sexton's got another trainer. That trainer's got somewhat of a tainted past. Um, we look at the unreal amount of muscle growth. Um, I've talked about this on other shows. You know, the bottom line is in a clinical setting, the, amount, the, the greatest amount of muscle that a person could put on is one ounce a day, which is about 22 pounds a year. So people get after me. They're like, oh, you're accusing somebody. I'm not accusing anybody. I don't, I don't post pictures. I don't post anything on Instagram on behalf of these riders. But when you've got riders bragging about the fact that they put on 27 pounds of muscle in eight weeks, you do the math. I mean, if you know clinically it's not possible, well, these guys are pretty much calling themselves out that they're on a fast-track program, whatever you want to call that. Um, train there? Absolutely. Uh, the big piece of the puzzle, of course, is going to be Sexton's dad has a pretty bad reputation of burning through guys. I mean, if you look at somebody, have you ever met Jade Dungey personally? No. Mm -mm. He's, he's probably the most chill guy you'll ever meet. And the fact that Chase's dad ran him off, the fact that they've gone through mechanics like a Pez dispenser, I'm going to be very curious to see how that fits in when he gets over there to Alden's program because his dad is very overbearing. There's another rider um, that we all know about that his dad was overbearing. And unfortunately, the second generation kind of brunt the burden of yeah, you're talented. However, we don't want to deal with your dad. So it'll be interesting to see how this new transi transition takes place. 
And then we go back to the original comment question that you and I started with. Do you think he has any regrets when he has a day like yesterday? I know that I wouldn't want to be the guy that's trying to, quote unquote, fix the bike to make him happy when he throws the front end away or misses a main rut or whatever, because unfortunately he's in a position where it's never him. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, it'll be very interesting. I figure it'll be very quick. We'll either like by midway through the New Jersey main next week, he'll either do the same thing he did this week, which is whole shot and just run away from these guys because he's so fucking fast or he'll be on the deck and we'll be like, yep. Okay. Another flash in the pan. Like he did it, but like can't get away from this stuff. So the, the real scary thing for everyone is if he does win next week like if you're cooper webb and eli tomac your one sole goal is not even to win this race next week it's to make sure he doesn't because as soon as he puts two together you're screwed you're absolutely screwed but have you done the math i have not seriously i have not if if sexton wins the next what do we have four rounds left yes yeah so if sexton wins tomac webb continue to split second and third, second and third for four rounds. Is it mathematically possible that Sexton win? So if he wins, if, and this is the stupid math here. So if Sexton were to win every race and Tomac were to get second every race, Tomac would still win by five points right now. There you go. But there as, you go. But as, soon, but as soon as you give, put Webb in between them or throw a Barsha in there or something, the math all changes and everything gets screwed. He's only... He's only two wins away from, uh, like, literally tying Webb here. I mean, I think he's, I think he's seven points from Webb and seventeen from. Is that what it is? Let's see here. Webb has two eighty six, and Sexton's got two seventy five. So he's, so he's nine points behind Webb. So he's three three race wins with Webb getting second three times from tying Webb. So, I mean, it's it's close, but I'm here to tell you, man, it's it's one of those things. And we've all been saying it, and I'm going to get crucified in the comments here again because we've been saying this all year. If he puts two together, they're screwed because he'll start linking them together, and then it's going to be a real problem. Yeah, I'm going to politely disagree because I think we saw from Tomac this weekend, he didn't push the issue. He knew that he could lose one point to Webb. Yeah. He, even said in the post race, you know, couldn't really find any place to kind of make a difference. So in typical Eli fashion, in lots of gate drops and a lot of athletic maturity, he realizes I've got more to lose than I have to gain to push and override, go down, end up 14th because can't get the bike started or the bike's mangled or whatever. Yep. I just think what you saw from Tomac this weekend is what you're going to see moving forward and i don't see tomac allowed hey it may come down that tomac wins it by one point it doesn't matter right at the end of the day he wins the championship yeah yeah and and tomac's in that tomac's in that position that mindset too that he's not uh i don't think he's i don't think he is the one that's scared of chase he knows he's at the end of his career he is uh he's very confident in the position he's in here for points wise going forward like like i said in a, in a perfect world, Sexton wins every single race going out. He finishes second every single race going out. He still wins by five points. So, but like well, I said, you, you get one of these guys in there as a, as an issue, like a Justin Barsha, because we all know Barsha doesn't give a shit. Barsha does not yeah. care about your points race. He's out there to finish the best he possibly can every single race. And that's when things start to get tricky. It does. I think the difference is if you look at Tomac's consistency, 
bad start doesn't freak out. Uh, I think the person that's proven that his inconsistency is going to come down to the wire and bite him in the butt is obviously Cooper. Um, you know, whether or not he's already eyeing the blue bike and kind of hoping that Eli goes away, which I don't think he will based on what I'm hearing behind the scenes. Cooper's in a real predicament. Not that he's thinking about it during the race, but think about what's going on in the back of Cooper's mind. I mean, really zoom out to 10,000 feet. Chase knows where he's going next year. Eli is pretty much playing with everybody like, I may or I may not. You don't know. So he's con- completely controlling the narrative. The person that's on the catbird seat is is Webb because his movement to Yamaha is based on whether or not Tomac is there. Now, I don't know, would Star Yamaha bring in Cooper if Tomac stays and Ferrandis goes to Cal? Uh, I know he's not going to Cali. In fact, I don't know where Ferrandis is going to go. Uh, I know I- that. I heard something. I don't remember where either, but he is out. He's he's gone. He doesn't want to ride Yamaha anymore. Is what I heard. So, but where do, but where does he go? Because I know I know Malcolm signed another two year deal at Husky, so he's definitely staying. I heard that Anderson re upped with Cowie for one year, goes to Triumph next at the end of next year. So where does Ferrandis go? You've got two guys at Cowie. You got two guys at Honda with Hunter and Jet. You've got two di- two guys at KTM with let's say Cooper stays and you've got Sexton in there, where does Ferrandis go? The rumor I heard, because because, I, oh, hold on, I have a note here. I heard he's shopping gas gas, but I don't know if they're going. The The thing I keep hearing with gas gas is they're only going one bike until Barsha is gone. And then once Barsha has gone, then they'll go two four fifties. But I don't know if that's still the play or not. Well, here's the key. If, and there's a lot of what ifs here, right? As usual, let's say Jay Coop goes up. He goes to 450 at Yamaha with yep. Tomac. So there's enough there's enough oxygen in the room for both egos. Yep. You have Cooper that stays at KTM with Sexton and Webb. And not a lot of oxygen left between those two egos. You have Barsha that's over at Gas Gas. Well, where does Plessinger go? Plessinger, I think, will go sideways over to Gas Gas. That leaves musical chairs, music stops. Where does Ferrandis go? Yeah. Does he end up at, does he end up going back to MXGPs? Does he take a sabbatical for a year and holds out? Because if you go literally color by color, Cowie is going to be AC and Anderson. Honda is going to be Lawrence Lawrence, right? Yeah. You've got Husqvarna's Malcolm and uh, Christian Craig. You've got Barsha over at Gas Gas, let's say, with Plessinger. Where does that leave Ferrandis? Mm-hmm. Because now Yamaha is going to be Tomac and Jacob. Well, let me throw let me throw you a curveball here. Have you heard anything about this Ducati team? Yep, I've heard some I've heard some rumblings. Now, that's the big key play. Do you honestly think that Cooper Webb is willing to take his talents and go to an un what do you, what would be the word validated team if you will? Yeah, they may throw him 5 million dollars a year. Cooper doesn't give a shit about the money. Cooper cares about winning races. Yeah. Cooper is more interested in going to Yamaha if there's an opening. I don't think there's an opening unless Tomac leaves. Do we know? So there, where the musical chairs becomes a big, say what? <laughs> is uh, is Tomac's chassis guy still there, or did he leave already? I have not heard. That's I, a great question. That's that, probably literally the million dollar question. That is that's that's, a great that's the linchpin because from what I under, what what I'm understanding behind the scenes here is that if if what I understand is that 
Tomac has enough say to do literally anything he wants to that bike. So if that bike yep. comes stock with a with a wet clutch or whatever, uh, a hydraulic clutch, he has the power to say, I want to I want a cable clutch and they will put one on that fucking bike for him. But Absolutely. I've also heard that his linchpin in stain is that Gilly is staying also. But I heard Gilly's leaving that team for some reason. For some reason. Well, I mean, let's face it. Tomac's not any younger and neither is Gilly or anybody else. No. I mean, Roger's getting older. Ian Harrison's getting older. Carlos is getting older. I mean, we that you bring up a very, very good point that I don't think many people stop and think about. Think, and, and I I'd love to do, maybe you can do some digging on this. Remember when Roxon came over and he had his buddy that he raced against and he was his mechanic and then his mechanic kind of got pushed to the side, you know, Mm -hmm. then you look at, you look at, um, Eli's longtime mechanic at Cowie and then he got moved in house. And then when does Carlos get tired of traveling and moves in house in California? When does, um, what's, uh, Muscan's, um, mechanic. Frankie, thank you. Frankie is, I've only met him a couple times. What an absolutely cool, funny guy. When does he get tired of being on the road? You know, go through, like you say, the guy that essentially was what gave Tomac confidence going to star. When does he get tired? When did these guys finally come off the road? And like you said, I mean, it was enough to bring Tomac over in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is, uh, there's a lot of questions about this silly season thing here. And, I don't know that we have a good answer. What are you what are you hearing about Ducati? Because I mean I hear that there's like a bike and like they're going racing next year. So Yeah. They're going racing, but they're going racing on a two fifty. Okay. Um you've got Evan Ferry, who's a pretty much the test rider behind the scenes. No, I don't know if that's Triumph. I'm talking about Ducati. Oh no, no, no. I'm so sorry. You're thank you for clarifying. Um, I haven't heard anything about the Ducati side other than the fact that they're wanting to get Cooper Webb in their folds. Hmm. Um, I know nothing about the chassis that they're running. I've not seen or heard anybody testing the bike, unlike Triumph. I've talked to a couple people who have ridden it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know anything about Ducati. It's become a new topic of conversation. But what I think is interesting is, and obviously Ducati having the foundation that we do, I, I don't think there's any of your listeners that think about Ducati, excuse me, I don't think there's any listeners that think about Ducati and think about kind of a low budget team. No, that's you know, going to be a big budget team right there. It'll be a big budget team. And the fact that they're already trying to get Cooper Webb tells you that they're not playing games mm-hmm. now, not to be repetitive here, but does, I just think that Webb is not in a position in his career anymore where he's willing to kind of ride a ship bike and go out. You know, one of the, when I go back and I look at history and like I tell you and, and, all the guys, you know, I'm still a big fan of the sport. Always have been, always will be. Think back to when Jeff Ward, loyal to the core to Team Green, racing against O'Mara, uh, Johnson, and those guys, knowing that the Cowie was maybe inferior in the horsepower or inferior in handling, like when he's racing against Barnett on the full floater or whatever the it may be. I just don't see Webb being at a place in his career where, hey, okay, you'll pay me $5 million, but I don't need it. Now, I don't know, we don't have Cooper on the phone here saying that he needs more money, but I think Cooper, because he's absolutely a pit bull in a fight, that's the guy that says, I'll, I'll freaking ride for free and bonuses only. Just give me the best bike. That's why he wants to go back to Star Yamaha. Yeah. I mean, proven that that 450 is an absolute beast. Um, Ferrandis, not the most, you know, polished guy when it comes to Supercross. I hate to say this, but think about the parallels of Ferrandis and Jeremy Martin. 
You know, if you look at Jeremy Martin, remember he went to Daytona, led till all but what four or five laps. I mean, he was the next 450 rider at Honda, runs into Jay Coop in the air, breaks his back, and history has been changed literally overnight. And then you look at somebody like a Cooper Webb, you look at the idea that Ferrandis didn't really pan out in the Supercross. Tomac decides, hey, I'm going to take a risk, go to Yamaha. I don't care what the talking puppets say. He went over there the very first year for very low money because Cowie did not offer him a deal whatsoever. But it worked out to his advantage. He had big bonuses and you know lower salary than he was making at Cowie, but he made it work. And then obviously, as you know, most contracts are, if you win the championship, your salary, like when uh, Anderson won, his contract read that if he won the championship, his salary doubled the very next year. Mm-hmm. So if you're making 1.2, you go to 2.4. That's the beautiful part about a good agent like Lucas Myrtle and some of the other guys out there. Hey, you win a championship, salary doubles. One yep. less thing you have to worry about. I just don't see Cooper going over to a platform for the sake of money. Now, I'm going to contradict myself. What if, uh, what if Tomac decides to stay? Does Cooper go World Supercross for a quote-unquote World Supercross team and can run Ducati here? I don't know. Have you heard anything about World Supercross? We know what this year looks like, but what does next year look like? What does 2024 look like? If Cooper signs, let's just say he goes with Ducati, can he ride a World Supercross for 23 and then run the beginning of Supercross in 24 and go World Supercross in 2024? at the middle of 24 what do, what do you know about that i don't i don't know anything yet i haven't heard anything past this year um yeah. as far as that goes i and like i said i i just texted you the other day because i heard i think it was on pulp on monday like literally at the end steve just drops this little bomb of like has anybody heard anything i've been hearing some rumblings that webb's gonna go uh world supercross which just blew my wig back because it's like all we've been hearing is, oh, no, I'm going to race moto. I'm going to race moto. I'm going to race outdoors because of this new whatever the hell the super duper motocross thing is here. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's going to race outdoors, too, because they want to get in it. But then it's like, OK, now I'm hearing this little rumbling here. And usually like Steve will hear stuff and he usually doesn't drop something out in public like that if he hasn't heard it from a decent source where there's like there may be a kernel of like yeah this is real so i don't know i i'm trying to that was why you were the first person i hit up because i thought well coach always hears these good rumblings here coming from the deep dark crevices of the moto industry so like maybe coach has heard something and then when you were like no i haven't heard anything about it i'm like hmm that that makes things much more interesting of like where is this coming from and what's happening with it exactly and and that's becomes very interesting is if we look at the influence of world supercross and let's say that i i don't know who Cooper webb's agent is but i would imagine the agent's like okay look we're going to set you up where you can do world supercross do really you know do your six or eight events or what i think there's four right yeah uh no there's six this year there's six sorry all right so we have six events there and then after that six of those six events then what does that allow us to be able to do it allows us to be able to go and race this super de duper series for Ducati. Um, obviously, if Ducati's coming along, you know that's got to be part of the contract negotiations. Hey, look, I don't mind riding for the team. We know it's an unproven team. I'll do everything I can to give you the exposure. Let me let me kind of put, turn the tables 180 degrees. 
let's say the Ducati thing doesn't come around whatsoever. What in the world is Cooper going to do over the next two years? Does he want to go to a team where he races for another three years? Is he looking for kind of a part-time program the way Stewart did, Supercross only, and then you start having more and more guys? Well, I guess we would start with McGrath and Stewart, you know. Uh, do we see him going to an abbreviated series? Who cares what the Super Duper series wants to do? That's what's going to be interesting is where do the pros want to go? Because the pros have the ultimate say, especially with the help of their agents. Yeah, I I don't know. I have, I have so many questions about this Ducati thing because, like you said, we haven't heard or seen literally anything. But all of a sudden this week, from everything I'm hearing, it's – it's like a big deal and like a go thing. Like they're going to come out and race four fifties next year, which is yeah. just wild. If we have it, I mean, the triumph thing itself is wild enough because that's been, Oh, we're going to have a team. We're going to have a team. We're going to have a team. And then there's, there's just nothing. There's no bike. There's no real. And I mean, they announced their test rider lineup and I'm air quoting test riders of like Ivan Tedesco. And who is, who is the other person? Um, uh, one of the uh, European guys. Yeah. And then, I don't know if you've seen this, there is like a flip phone video of the Euro guy, which I'm blanking his name. He's a popular Euro guy too, and I'm, I'm going to get, comment down below That's if okay. you guys have heard this, okay. but um, there's like a flip phone video of him riding the bike. Mm. But I mean, coach, we're talking, we're talking 480p, uh, bright sunlight, can't really see anything because it's just pixelated video but it's supposedly yeah. him riding this triumph bike. And I'm just yeah. like, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't understand. So yeah, I think it's the isn't it? Isn't it Clement? DeSalle, yeah. I think yep. It that's it. DeSalle. Yep. Okay. I apologize. It took me a moment. Yep. Well, here, here's the thing that's so crazy. Remember when AGR got started and they spent a couple of years getting kind of some second tier riders again, no respect, no disrespect to those guys. Those guys are absolutely brilliant on a dirt bike. But they kind of build and built and built, and then all of a sudden they went ahead and jumped in with fill in the blank, you know, ultimately kind of, in my opinion, peaking out with a James Stewart. So when you look at the idea that is that what Ducati's going to do is, is Webb going, hey, look, give it a year, you figure it out, get the chassis down, I'll ride it, you know, quote unquote, off the record, see if I like it. But the, I guess we come back to the million dollar question. Does Webb, is Webb going to be forced to take that? Does he re-up at KTM for one year, lets them shake out the Ducati platform? Um, there, to me, and again, this is absolutely based on no information other than my own armchair quarterback. If he doesn't go to Yamaha, he one-ups at KTM for one year, waits for the Ducati thing. Ducati's going to be surely on money. If Tomac does retire, he goes over to Star Yamaha, He's he's the monster. He's the big guy over, you know, underneath the blue tent. They bring Jay Coop underneath. That's that's going to be the pinnacle piece. And I go, I know everybody's talking about Tomac's the last piece of the equation. However, what if it wouldn't be? I don't want to. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth. In your opinion, would you be surprised if Yamaha ran a three-person 450 team? No, not at all. I wouldn't. You know what I mean. So now we, we come back full circle and we go, okay, where does Plessinger go? Because he, he's getting replaced at KTM. That's a fact. Yeah, he's leaving. Where, where does Webb go if we have Sexton that comes over? He doesn't have to go anywhere, but we know his contract's up. 
I know that for a fact, Sexton doesn't like to share the limelight with yep. anybody. Yep. So let's say that Webb, I mean, let's just play complete devil's advocate. Let's say that Tomac shits the bed. Let's say Webb comes out, wins a championship. Well, contract state, you win the championship, your contract's automatically renewed. Maybe the contract goes up 50% or even double, right? Yep. Where does that leave Sexton? Because Sexton left Honda to avoid the Jetson. And then the fact that Hunter's there now, he definitely wants nothing to do with Honda. Okay. That's pretty much a given deal. But now we get in behind the scenes. If Webb comes up and wraps this championship up, where do we where do we go from here? Because Plessinger's out. We don't know where Ferrandis is going. We know Jay Coop. I, I, I shouldn't say no, but if you look at the math behind the scenes, why would Star Yamaha spend the amount of money on a two fifty rider to pay him not to race for six months? Yeah. Yep. That to me is a no brainer. Um, Jay Coop has always done well for Star Yamaha. I never talked to Bobby Reagan about it, but I would assume Bobby's pretty happy with him because he's willing to pay him for essentially what do you do? Three, four fifty races? Four? No, yeah, it has to be two. Three or two four. Two or three. Because yeah. we're only we've only what are we at? Round number eight or nine? No, we just did round thirteen. Round I, I apologize. I you know, between the GNCC series and everything else, my numbers <laughs> get confused. But but the idea here is what J Coop do? Three, maybe four? Yeah. So now you take it the step one step higher, and you're like, okay, well, now where does the musical chairs go? Honda, 450, we know what it is. We know Sexton to KTM, we know one of the two spots. Yamaha, I feel comfortable saying J-Coop goes to at least one of those 450 spots. Now, the million-dollar push would be, what if Webb wants to come over to Star Yamaha and Tomac decides to come back, A, can they afford it? And where does that push J-Coop? Yep. People aren't thinking about Because J-Coop has to come out. He's officially pointed out. Yeah. He's the one that's kind of stuck in the middle of this new, you know, imagine that, the AMA changing the rules mid-season, right? <laughs> Maybe it's not mid-season, but changing the rules with absolutely no merit. It's kind of less, kind of like us talking about on the shit show, you know. People got confused on the message I was trying to get on the shit show. I understand that we have random testing for motor breakdown, but I just think for the sake of the sport, I think it'd be very interesting if the governing body decides that they want to do a random breakdown. I just think it'd be cool if, A, what were they looking for? Or, you know, I don't think it's coincidental that the quote-unquote random breakdown happened to include a privateer that's been whole-shotting 250 races. Yeah, that was really random there. Very random. And again, I think it's interesting how the governing body and the promoters think that the fans of the sport are absolutely that naive. But that's that's another subject. Just like the drug testing. I think it's interesting. If you say that you're going to be the pinnacle of the sport, and if you read the contracts where they say you're, you and I own a racetrack, the contract reads that they are allowing us the privilege of hosting a race. Wasn't that interesting? If you're going to be so pompous as to say that you're allowing you and I to pay a premium to host the privilege of hosting an event, then the least you can do is have consistent drug testing of the top three guys in both classes. Whether the spectators care about it or not, that's not that's irrelevant. I kind of got ostracized here in the shit show in the uh, live chat area. What I'm saying is there's not a single sport out there that says, hey, we are the we represent the pinnacle of the sport. 
if you're going to say that you are literally the epicenter of where everybody wants to be, then there's a certain level of responsibility. Tomorrow we have the Boston Marathon. Absolutely guaranteed top three male and female will be drug tested. <laughs> no, you, you, no, no. You go to an Ironman race, doesn't matter what, doesn't matter where, particularly Ironman Hawaii, which is our championship. It's not if. Top three men and women, you will be drug tested. Well, if you're going to go out there with a big arrogance saying that you're the man, you're the sport, you're the pinnacle, then step up to the responsibilities of setting the example that you are going to take ownership, that you're the pinnacle of the sport. But at any rate, that's what got kind of spun out of context on Friday. Come back to where we're at right now, you know, to your original question, the musical chairs are very interesting and we don't know where Tomac goes and we don't know the influence of Ducati, especially with them trying to solicit Cooper services. I think Cooper goes World Supercross. I just don't know if he goes Yamaha or does he go KTM, then goes World Supercross, then goes to Ducati in 25, uh, 24. Any chance that Ducati is a KTM-based bike? I, why not? I don't think KTM would have a problem selling that platform. No. Do you? No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing that I'm looking at is, you know, I, I have seen and talked to a couple of people that have tested the Triumph. Um, you know, they went with their own platform. Of course, no surprise with Bobby Hewitt. He's not a, he's not a dumb dude. Yeah. Uh, they're doing it all, all their own. But if you look at the Pierre Mobility Group, you know, owning KTM, Husqvarna, Gas Gas, sure, they're, they're smart. They're like, hey, there's definitely some equity in that foundation. And then you add the Ducati quote-unquote flair to it yeah can you imagine yeah well because isn't ducati ducati's owned by lamborghini i think aren't they that i don't know but you know when when anybody thinks about ducati nobody thinks about second class citizen i mean what is that ducati nine i'm going to show my age here i don't know how many versions have come out since the ducati 999 but i remember going to dealership and just salivating over ducati 999 that was what twenty four thousand dollars or something i mean it's just insane yeah but you hear that thing crank up and you'll never forget it yeah ducatis are uh a mind of their like they're they're a super interesting super high-end bike uh yeah looks like uh yeah it's owned by the volkswagen group so yeah Yeah. so the people that own volkswagen lamborghini and audi also own ducati so Yep. Yeah. So when would not surprise me if it that would be that would be the one interesting thing if they did that. If they went off a uh and I, don't, I don't even know what you would make it, a some other color pla- a purple plastic uh purple plastic uh KTM there for Ducati or whatever, but that would be that would be like one of the only ways I could see him legitimately getting Cooper is to throw a bunch of money at him and be like, it's just a 2023 KTM. You're fine. So Yeah. Well, but but I don't know that many people stop and think about this. If you look at the Pierre Mobility Group, I think most of the listeners know that I have a very the largest segment of our business is the triathlon running and you know that entire endurance vertical. Yep. Now, my passion is moto supercross off-road, uh, just because I've been on two wheels, you know, with a motor since 78. Um, but if you go and you look at our largest vertical of sheer volume of athletes and all that, triathlon is by far the, our biggest vertical all the way around. When you look at the Pierre Mobility Group, they actually bought felt bicycles, where if anybody knows anything about like a felt DA, 
you're talking a sixteen to twenty thousand dollar bicycle. Yep. It's got, you know, the electric shifting and it's, you know, the best composite material in the whole nine yards. Well, talking to anybody that's involved with that decision making, the reason why the Peer Mobility Group bought it was for distribution of their e bikes. Okay. What would be the distribution network for Ducati? It's not like they own the two wheeled world. That's going to be a big, I mean, let's just be blunt, right? I mean, Ducati is not doing this just to have their logo in a new segment of business. No. They're in it to try to create profit. Yep. So let's say that they build a 250 and a 450 just for conversation's sake. Who's going to sell it? Well, I mean, they have a dealer network. So they have a dealer network of two wheels or four wheels, right? Yeah. So they've got the two wheel network, but is that going to be the network? that is going to be a dirt bike market. Cause like, for example, I live here in Orlando, Florida, the Ducati dealership sells Suzuki and nothing else. Yeah. So now you start looking at, okay, going back to your original question, the platform is going to be only part of the equation. What about the distribution network? Now all of a sudden, anybody that's a certified KTM dealer, or let's call it the peer mobility group, Husky gas, gas, and KTM. Do they become a line extension with Ducati? Hmm, that's interesting. I'm not sure here. So here's another thing to think about too, though. Like this opens up if this actually goes through and this is, this is happening here. Like everyone saying it is, um, man, this opens up a whole new network of individuals of very high end individuals to come into the sport here. I mean, you're talking, uh, uh, jace on gypsy tales he's talked a bunch of times about oh yeah like there's a market out there for guys who will buy a 35 forty thousand dollar 450 dirt bike that is you know legitimately basically what eli tomac rides or whatever you know and now it's like if ducati's coming in to do this well they have that sort of clientele to do that because you can put a Twenty-five, thirty thousand dollar four fifty factory four fifty bike in their dealerships, and they have the clientele to come through. Who would be like, yeah, you know what? I think I need one of those, whether they ride it or not. Who knows? And on top of that, I've seen some of these Lamborghini dealerships and stuff because of them all being owned by the same by by Volkswagen Group. And in those Lamborghini dealerships and stuff, right there are some high end Ducati street bikes because those guys also buy those too. So it's like, now do we end up with dirt bikes in there too? Do we end up with, like, do more of this clientele start showing up to the races because they have a race team? Like, how are they going to promote it, like, cross-promote it in that sense? Like, it's a very intriguing subject here with this going on. No, it will definitely be. But now you take the factory edition KTM, Husqvarna, Honda. I think everybody's pretty much got one now, right? Yep. Now you look at that Ducati. Is there anything that will be different between what Cooper Webb races on a factory Ducati and their quote-unquote factory edition? I'm going to say no because if you go and look at the Ducati 999, now again, I'm not a street racing aficionado, but from what I've heard talking to the guys that purchase those bikes, it's the lion's share of what you see those guys racing at MotoGP, that's what that bike is. Just has a license plate and some blinkers. Yeah, I think I think now it's the 1198 or the 1098 Pingali or whatever. I think is right. what's that? It's the 999. I think was the older version of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, and so when you look at Ducati, they're going to completely change, at least in my opinion, 
they're going to completely change the narrative. We as an industry have been excited the fact that the pro, the factory edition is very, very, very similar, at least certainly we're not getting those one-off ECUs and all those unattainable type. How many people have taken the time and the money to invest in the factory edition just to be that much closer to the real thing? Yep. Now, what does Ducati do? That's what they're known for, right? I mean, I, I think back to back in the early days. Remember when the Hurricane, Honda Hurricane 600 came out on the road racing side? Yep. I mean, it literally, their their claim to fame was, this is the bike that we're winning with added blinkers in a license plate. Yep. And they sold the shit out of Hurricane 600s. And then what did the GSX-R750 do? Yep. They're like, we are literally going to take this bike off the, sh- off the racetrack, put a blink- set of blinkers on it, and a license plate. You can buy this. And then it went from the GSX-R750. Now look at the Hayabusa, right? 200-plus miles an hour off showroom floor. Yep. That's where I see Ducati. Now, is that going to help our sport? I think it, it's like any good, you know, I shouldn't say any good, but, you know, these vet riders that call up Mitch Payton and say, hey, here's my credit card, build me the ultimate vet bike, and Mitch is just salivating. Yeah. You know, because now you put an eighteen to $25,000 bike together with every unattainable product, that just is a lot of bling and not a lot of raw performance differences. Well, now think about it. You could literally, again, I'm paraphrasing here, but can you imagine that you can buy 90% of Cooper Webb's bike that you saw on Saturday night. Talking about creating a niche. KTM's oh, yeah. done a good job, but talking about creating a niche. Now, ninety-nine point nine percent of society couldn't handle, you know, the power that it puts out. But obviously, they'll tame it down enough. But I think the listeners get the gist of what we're talking about. Ducati's going to be a game changer because the idea is they've always, it just like Schumacher back in the day, dominating with a Ferrari, and they're like, hey, you don't have wings on this thing, but when you go down to your dealership, it's got the same motor pretty much. I mean, not the, you know, you get the gist. I'm not saying the exact same motor, but you're getting the motor technology that you, you just watched race at the Formula One X1, you know, race X, Y, or Z. Yep. I think that's where Ducati is going to really change our landscape, which I think is going to be very, very cool. Yep. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I'm excited to hear some announcements here for this kind of stuff. I'm 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 eagerly awaiting to see what this Triumph bike looks like, and I don't think I'm going to buy a Triumph because back in the day their street bikes were known for being brittle. So I'm sure they've, I'm sure that's not the case now. But I don't want to risk it on a new ten thousand dollar motorcycle, you know. So yeah, but well, D- and Ducati injuries. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody would be surprised because just like any bike, you know. Even when you come out with a new factory edition, there's always the bugs to get worked out. Yeah, um, I think they've got it kind of down to a science. But isn't it interesting that? And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't KTM wasn't KTM the first one to come out with a factory edition, and then all the other colors followed suit? Yeah. But yet you go back 20 years ago. Well, heck, go back to when Dungey went over to KTM with Roger. KTM was still the laughing stock. Yep. And look at the percentage of market share that KTM has now. Yep. Um, Who's laughing now? <laughs> have you have you heard anything about the uh, that new Stark Varg bike or whatever? Because I heard they were trying to get that thing homologated and everything, and uh, I I heard most of the uh, most of the powers that be in most of the series were like, "Yep, nope, sorry, you can't race that in here." I have not heard or seen anything about it, but you know, 
I think it's cool. I think it creates some, it, it puts people on their toes. I just think, and this is my biased opinion, 100 percent. You can, you, you as an industry, continue to. I hate to say this because some people think I'm on a political. It's kind of like the Bud Light situation. You can, you as a corporation can can have whatever opinion you want, but the consumer is going to have the ultimate say in everything and anything. And if anything positive came out of the Bud Light debacle, it's the idea that we can now quantify the fact that when you push a selfish agenda, that the quantification of that poor decision is going to come back to bite you. Now, come back to what you were just saying. I don't believe that the hardcore motocross, supercross fan is going to go buy an electric bike. Yeah. I just don't see it happening. I know Josh Hill made it look extremely, you know, fast. I know Josh uh, Hansen has made it look really cool and fast. I just, I don't, I just see the average fan base going, hey, you know what? That's a really cool bike. I can either buy a factory Ducati, I could buy a factory edition KTM, or I can buy a Stark bike. I just don't see the market share going there. Now, Chris Cooksey did a great job, and I never really thought much about this. He talks about the idea that, hey, what if when we were growing up, we couldn't certainly ride our pit bikes in the middle of the night because people would raise holy hell, but with an electric bike, you could have. Yeah. Now, I think that opens up another category, but I don't think that that opens up a race opportunity. Big Hmm. difference. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. The the electric thing's interesting. Of course, did you see the... um uh, there was a press release a week or so ago too that like all the companies are going to be full full electric or like the AMA series is going to be full electric by shoot I don't know what the hell date they put in there twenty five twenty six something like that I don't I, I did not see it but I don't see how they could make that a reality There's no way There's no way I The only don't... the only one we've even seen a prototype for is Honda No one else has one KTM's got the eighty five prototype that's been floating around out there i'm sure you've seen them doing the battery change in that mid moto so yeah now was that was that comment by the ama themselves i don't remember but it was a big it was a press release so i don't remember if it was ama or what it was exactly um but yeah it was uh, i'd have to go back and look but i don't even know i'll have to search it later and find out but yeah yeah there was there was a press release like i said like a week or two ago we're all electric for racing series here and i don't know how how soon but it was it was within the next five years let's put it that way so well let's let's go back to the bud light debacle if (laughs) if this if this situation doesn't illustrate that when you try to push an agenda the mass percentage of the consumer is going to voice their discontent with their pocketbook yep so, okay, great. You say the whole series is going to be electric by 2025. That doesn't make the consumer. I don't give a rat's ass what color, what factory rig, if they want to, if they want to, consume, quote unquote, the pressures of this one half of 1% of the people that say we have to be racing electric. If the AMA is that foolish, that would be the demise of the AMA series as, as an associate, or not series, but the association. Yeah. Because if the AMA as an association are going to try to be politically correct and dictate the the narrative, great. You're going to force these guys, all the OEMs are going to have to spend boatloads of money to come up with a new platform. That's fine. Why do we go racing to sell bikes, right? When on Sunday, sell on Monday. Nobody's, 
I shouldn't say nobody, but I would go out so far as to say the lion's share of the people listening to this are not going to voluntarily go out and buy an electric bike. No, not. They miss the sound. They miss the smell. They're not going to go buy new tools. Yeah, right? not for, so not for years fine. anyway. No, I mean, it, it's no different than any of us. Why did we not go out and buy a Cannondale? Why did we not go out and buy an Alta? Why did we not go out and buy? Because it, for us as the end consumer to buy a bike that I'm using very loose numbers. I don't even remember how much the Alta was. Let's say it was $15,000, yep. but you guys spent $6,000 on a battery. Well, the average person, I mean, we're already bitching about the idea that racing, even if it's recreational, I shouldn't say racing, whether riding recreationally or racing competitively, we're already bitching about the fact that the bikes are 12 to 15 grand before we tear the suspension down, put a pipe on it, put a silencer on it, put some new tires, put some better wheels and and hubs on it, right? We're already bitching that it's expensive. And now you want us to spend even more money on something that we can only ride for 15 to let's say 30 minutes yeah, and then we either have to have another battery for a couple hundred or a couple thousand dollars. Again, if we've learned anything from the Bud Light situation, stop pushing an agenda. Now, if the consumers request it and the consumers demand it, the consumers are the ones spending the money. So if the AMA is dumb enough or the promoters are dumb enough to buy into this, the only person that they're hurting is themselves because you're not going to make our average listener make them buy something that they don't want. And and if you don't believe it, look at KTM success. Yeah. For people who didn't want to invest in a four stroke and the fact that you couldn't tear apart a top end in a couple hours, they're like, screw you. I'm not buying a four stroke. KTM gave them what? Numerous options to still keep riding a two stroke. Yep. This isn't rocket science. It's business 101. Yeah. It's macroeconomics 101. Yep. Um. Okay. So getting back into uh, the racing stuff a little bit here. Who do you yeah. th- who do you think regrets their bike change more here, Christian Craig or Ken Roxon? Which one which one regrets which team worse? Well, I would have to go Ken Roxon because if you look at Christian Craig, he had no choice but to go to a different color. Yeah, you know his his opportunity at Yamaha was up. Um, I personally think it was a mistake on behalf of Yamaha. Um, I, it, you know, obviously it's easy to be an armchair quarterback, right? Yeah, but. Who would you rather have, the results of Christian Craig before he got hurt last weekend or Ferrandez? So hindsight's twenty twenty. I just think that Christian had shown that he had some consistent results. Um, of course, people are going to argue that, you know, Ferrandez did win a championship for him on a 250. So it's not like you can say he sucked. But if I'm going to go off of, you know, track record, I'm biased towards Christian Craig. And, and the only reason why I say that is I look at consistency more than I look at anything else. But mm-hmm. with that being said, um, I would say that it has to be Ken Roxon because Christian was in a was in a bind. He had to go, so he found a good opportunity. His agent did a great job of getting him a two year deal. Thank goodness now that he's hurt. Um, Roxon, I don't think he had anything to lose and everything to gain. I mean, if we look at the off season, he was the most talked about person. Uh, the fact that he got a win just fits right into the narrative. I mean, I think we've seen pretty quickly it was more of a. You know, all those, all the planets aligned. He hasn't been able to come remotely close to getting. Now he looked good this weekend. I'm not going to take it away from him. Like, getting a podium was great. Yeah. But for those that are like, oh, he's on a rampage. He's going to start putting that Kickstarter up front. No, he's not. No. No, he's not. No, I mean we got Christian Craig out. Um, you look at Colt Nichols. He's been out. You look at Ferrandis is out. Malcolm is out. I mean, if you get all those guys back in there, 
I think Roxon would be shuffled back one or two more places. But hey, prop, you got to be in it to win it, as the old saying goes. Yeah. Um, man. So the Hunter moving up to 450s for Supercross next year, super interesting to me. I I don't understand why they like why they didn't just sign Nichols for another one year deal for next year too, and just uh, just leave him on the 250 to win that 250 title again next year. Well, think about it. It is the absolute best case scenario for a Honda 450 because you've got two brothers, obviously share the same dad, have the same agent. And if you get behind closed doors, I've been fortunate enough to be at the track with those three. You talking about moving a program forward quickly? There, There is no yin and yanging. You've got Jet and you've got Hunter. They see eye to eye on everything. They've got Dazzy, their dad. No BS, no playing around, no games. You've got Dazzy, who is very analytical. So if you're Honda, why would you not want to forward your 450 program with two guys that work together yep. in conjunction with their dad? Their agent is doing everything they can. I mean, I don't know why people misunderstand this. Lucas Myrtle works for the Hunter Brothers. But you're talking about polishing a brand for Honda, and Honda's not paying for – I mean, yes, they're paying the salaries and the bonuses. I don't want to sound stupid here, but it's not like Lucas works for Honda. Yeah. And then you look at the idea that he got Joe Shimoda, and he's already got Hymas over there. Yep. So if you're Honda, you're like thanking Lucas Myrtle. You've brought four stellar guys that's going to give the brand what it hasn't had since Ricky Carmichael. Stop and think about that. No Honda has won a championship since Ricky Carmichael. Yeah, not 450, now, yeah. I'm talking 450 only. Yep. And if you go back, if it wasn't for Jet last year, when was the last time Honda won a championship? Would have been Stu in like 15 or 16, wasn't it? Not not for Honda. Well, Geico. Not for James Stewart. He's never ridden for Geico. No, I'm talking I'm talking Malcolm when he won his 250 title. Good point. Yes. So you go back that many years, right? Yeah. Now all of a sudden you've got Jet and Hunter. You've got pretty good chance they're going to win East and West together. Yep. I think you'd be hard pressed to get to bet against Hunter when you go outdoors, right? I mean, he showed this weekend with a longer track that's rough. What did he win by? Sixteen seconds. Uh, great question. Let's see here. I know it was pretty substantial. Uh, eight. He uh, by the finish it was eight. Is what it okay, says, so, so he probably just slowed down the last couple laps, but yeah. he was up to like 15 seconds. Yeah. So that just shows you what's about to come when we go outdoors. You don't think Tom, Nobody, you don't think Tom Vial is going to have something for him when we get outdoors? I definitely think so. I definitely think so. But I think for poor Tom, he's never seen these tracks before where Hunter has. Yeah. So that's the advantage that Hunter has. And let's face it, the pressure's off of Hunter. He's got a 450 deal. He's just going to go out and make more of a statement than try to earn a spot on a, a ride somewhere. Yeah. I think we have a tendency to forget about how that just takes the, the weight of the world off. I, I always call taking rocks out of your backpack, right? Hunter's yep. got nothing to lose and everything to gain this, this, this summer. When we go outdoors, his brother's gone. He's got the entire, you know, ride red on his shoulders for the two fifty class. He's been to all these tracks before. He's coming off a pretty dominating Supercross series. And I think people have a tendency to forget the only reason why Jet's even here is because of the success of his brother. Yeah, but okay, hold on. I'm going to I'm gonna holster co-reload rant here for a second. This was, Go for it. So 
I cannot stand them comparing the Jet and Hunter statistics, okay? Like, I understand on paper right now they have practically the same amount of wins, practically the same amount of races, practically the same amount of podiums, all that shit. Okay, but they're not the same. Hunter was hurt for like two fucking years, okay? Like, Jet's been in here and done this all in, in two years, it they're not the same all right they're not the same at all so like i don't want to hear these stats anymore they're fucking worthless there is well, but, but they're not Ugh. but they're not because if you look at the stats they're only starting them i think in the last year or the last two years that, they're uh, leveling them out they're leveling them out no nah, it's it's a stat to put up to be like oh look these two brothers are so fucking great, which they both are. But it's but Hunter w- missed so many races because he got hurt when he came over. And yes, I I'll, totally agree. I'll give you that. that I agree. Jet got the jump because Jet was, um, uh, Hunter you know, was hurt. Yeah, Hunter's got you know whatever. But it, it, it's not the I same. I do agree it's, with you there. I do agree. If you look at the fact that um, Jet got over here because of Hunter's success in MXGPs. And then Hunter spent what would you what would you say, Trav? Two, three, maybe even four years injured. It was two or three that yeah he yeah. could not stay healthy there. He couldn't stay healthy, and then they go to the Honda. That's a stink bug. Yep. Right. They change Kathy on the stink bug. Yep. Uh, so now, if you look at the fact, and, and if you talk to Hunter and Dazzy and Jet, they don't make excuses. No. That, that's one of the things I love about being around them. They don't make excuses, but. To your point, I agree. Hunter's in a completely different zip code. Now, in defense of Jet, he's he's proven his own. I mean, yeah, he's a little younger, has, quote-unquote, less experience. But doggone, has he shown that he's been able to jump up there, handle the pressure? Um, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, it's not really fair, and it's- we're not trying to slam the talking puppets but it does make for good journalism it's the same it's the same thing as the fucking idiots online that are comparing deegan's first four races to to jet's first four races like cool dude in what cool in which regard that would they say by finishes because if you go if you go by finishes the first four races jet had were subpar compared to the first four supercross races deegan had okay and i made this comment uh before and i'll make it again deegan is now into the realm of racing where it's going to be very 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 difficult for him to start matching jet because he's going to have to start winning and even though yes he he whole shotted yesterday and he led for a while and whatever he's not on a winning pace yet do i think he'll get there next year yes yes i do i think by next year he will win races and and be vying for that title but for right now it, it, he's not there. So he's going to have the first four races are going to look slightly better than what Jet's first four races did. But And I know this is going strictly off of finishing positions, but then if you go back and watch the races, like Jet's second Supercross race there, which I believe, second or third one, which was, what was it, A2, A3, where he led the whole damn thing till he endowed himself into the triple face. Like, yeah. he led that whole damn race. Okay, Deegan hasn't come out and led an entire main, and not just led, dominated like gone see ya bye thanks like deegan has not done that yet and nor do i think he will do that in his first eight or nine races here and again i know all the deegan keyboard warriors are about to come out at me here the kid is great he is a very very good rider he's gonna win races he's gonna win titles he's gonna do all of that he's it's just not his time yet he will get there next year i think is his time this year is not but 
yeah the the comparison like i said the comparison with hunter and jet stats here is is to me in the same realm as the comparison of of Deegan's first however many races and Jet's first however many races there and it's it's just a null it's just a stupid stat that you're trying to put out there to talk about it like I don't I don't like it I don't like it and it's my holster coat reload rant for the week I I I have to agree with you but I think the keyboard warriors are comparing zebras and water faucets and here's why. <laughs> First of all, is he going to win next year? Yes, because half of the veterans that are in the 250 class are going to move up. Yeah. Possibly. The caveat is if they, if they don't move up, he doesn't, he doesn't win races next year. We saw that this weekend. Had Thrasher not gone down, Jordan Smith catched him, caught him, excuse me, Jordan Smith caught him and passed him on a track that's a little bit longer, a little bit rougher than the traditional Supercross. What do you think you're going to see when you go outside outdoors when we add everybody from the east from the opposite coast? You're going to see Deegan be on struggle bus when we go east west merger. He's going to be on struggle bus to be inside the top 5. Well, that's a good first that's a good format. that's a good talking point here because we are going east west for the first time this week here. So Yeah, but I want to I want to go back to what you just said when they're comparing Jet and Deegan. What people have a tendency to forget is if you go back to the platform and the chassis that that Hunter, excuse me, what Jet was riding, it was probably fifty percent of what Deegan is riding to this day. Oh, 100%. And let me give you let me give you an illustration. Go back, anybody who's listening to this who has a, a smidgen of doubt on what we're talking about, go watch the Outdoor Nationals when Jeremy Martin riding for Geico Honda is getting dropped like a bad idea by Jay Coop on sheer horsepower. They're going down a straightaway, wide open, fourth gear, fifth gear pinned, and Cooper is just walking away from, from J-Mart. Yeah. Okay? Now, two years later, Honda's chassis seems to be pretty good. They seem to have the horsepower, right? Well, let's compare what Jet was riding and trying to win on compared to what Deegan is on. Now, that is not Deegan's fault. No. But – if you're going to go into comparing stats, you also have to go and look at behind the scenes. I love talking to Jeff Ward, Jeff Stanton, Johnny Osho, Mark Barnett. If you talk and listen to anything, whether you go back to Gypsy Tales, go to Whiskey Throttle, go to any of these where these guys talked, right? What did they always talk about? Hey, this this brand, this OEM, when the, 90, the 81 full floater 125 Barnett, that full floater, that thing handled like a freaking – had everybody covered mm -hmm. and then you listen to wardy wardy's like yeah but that honda's power plant was freaking the best and then wardy's kind of stuck in the middle and then the next year they got the power plant going and then the unit track at cali was working a little bit better this isn't my opinion stop being a key warrior keyboard warrior stop getting all emotional go listen to the legends of our sport stanton go look at listen to osho Listen to Wardy. Listen to all these guys that were just absolute legends, right? What did they say? They either had a choice to be loyal to the brand or chase the bike of the year. Yep. But at the end of the day, you have you have Hayden Deegan that goes pro at exactly the perfect time with a platform on the on the Star Yamaha two fifty. Everybody before him is shaking it down. Again, that is not Deegan's problem. But to say that Deegan is faster or is having a better rookie year than Jet when Jet was on a platform that was completely 100% proven inferior because the year before, Jeremy Martin could not get around Jay Coop 
on that Geico Honda. Yeah. Do you think, um, man? So where do you think where do you think Deegan slots in here? Have you did you hear anything? What's wrong with Thrasher? What what got hurt on him yesterday? No, I have not heard or seen anything on him. Where does Deegan slot in? Where for the let's say for the East West Shootout this week here? Yeah, I say fifth through tenth. Okay. So because he got caught and passed by Jordan Smith. Yeah. Now Jordan Smith is a beast. Don't get me wrong. Hunter dropped him like a bad idea. Yes. Jordan Smith caught him and passed him. Thrasher, we don't know, right? He's injured. It's not fair to say that he would have caught and passed Deegan. But then outside of that, how many more factory bikes are in that field? Well, so let's go down the list here. So you've got the Lawrence brothers are going to beat him. Like there's just That's just facts. If anybody wants to argue that, comment down below that the Lawrence brothers this coming weekend in New Jersey, New York, wherever the hell we're at, aren't going to smoke Hayden Deegan. You're 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 high on your own supply here. So you've got that. Um, you got Jordan Smith, but again, here's my caveat with Smith. He's like Thrasher. Can he keep it off the ground and stay consistent? I don't know. No. That, that's something no. Deegan's proven is that what whatever speed he's going here, he's consistent. So he's got that going for him. Um, then you've got RJ probably beats him unless again, RJ does RJ things and hits the ground. But outside of that, RJ is definitely faster than him. That's for sure. Um, and then the only other one I have here is that I can think of is, is Shimoda. Shimoda's it. And Shimoda was closing the gap until he blew it in the last couple laps, which is amazing so, because that's his first race back and he's terrified of that bike. So I'm well, and that's what I was going to say. I can see if it's four races back and you're like, okay, you know, he was able to bridge the gap on Deegan. This is his very first race back, and he was able to bridge up to Deegan. And then, again, he had made a mistake. Um, do I think – I mean, unfortunately, we have a decimated PC team. So Shimoda proved that he's as fast as Deegan. Did I say faster? No, because he didn't pass him. You can't say that Shimoda's faster than Deegan right now because Deegan straight up beat him. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But when you go and you look at Hunter and Jet, Hunter is, in my opinion, not as fast as Jet. Now, Jet's more consistent. When it comes, well, I shouldn't say, I think Hunter, I don't know the stats in front of me, but Hunter's been more consistent when it comes to starts. Well, we all know, you look at Deegan, Deegan gets a good start. He's a freaking bear. To- oh, yeah. Pro ranks on it, not on a satellite team, but on a factory uh, bike. Who on that factory bike is not, if they get a good start, who's easy to pass? None of them. They're all absolute bad mofos, right? Yep. So if Hunter or Jet get good starts, you're going to be hard-pressed to get around them. If you look at, let's go, Honda, there's no Suzuki team. Kawasaki, it's decimated. Joe Shimoda is the only one that's really in there. Do we know if any of the Pro Circuit guys are coming back, or is only Joe? I think it's just Joe. Well, I think it's Joe, Blos, and uh, Mumford, Mumford will all be yeah, there. But we've already seen that those guys haven't really been able to shake things up. No. Um, so, okay, so PC, you have Joe that gets in there. So does Deegan look good for top five? Possibly if he nails the start because you've got two guys on Honda. You have one guy in Kawasaki. You have RJ that's on Husky. Yes, I think that um, KTM, gosh, Volan, you know, he he certainly can get good starts, but I don't think he's comfortable with the bike. He just never seems to stay up front there. I'm very excited to see him go to PC next year. Um, That's where you think he's going? Oh, he's, he's already done. Yeah, he's going there next year. I heard he was going to Husky. That's interesting. No, he's going... Uh, no, no, no. Um, no, Voland is going to PC. Yes. 
and um, the the Husqvarna team is already done. I mean, if you think about it, you got RJ; he just resigned. Um, you've got Malcolm that signed a two-year deal, and you got Christian Craig with another year deal. Who else so is riding? Got, who, who else is riding Husky in two fifties then? Well, you've got the potential. You've got RJ is there; he just signed a two-year deal, yeah. and either they keep the league swole or they move up Casey Cochran or um, who's that young kid? Hawkins. Not Bolin, Hawkins. Hawkins. Thank you. So, I mean, they've got a couple guys that they can choose from, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know if they keep Jalik or not between the injuries and the lack of results, but RJ re-upped, so he's there. Huh. Interesting. Super interesting. So you've got, you've got Shimoda that leaves PC. Everybody else stays the same. Um, Are you sure? I, got, heard, I heard Forkner's leaving, too. Nope. Nope. Forkner has been re-signed, and I owe you an apology. Um, shit. What was my note? I uh, just thought about it. Shimoda goes to a uh, Ryder D. Ryder D. Gosh, Ryder D is going to Gas Gas to replace Moseman. Moseman's going to Triumph. Interesting. Okay. That, that's done. So you've got Shimoda goes over to um, Honda. So that's cool. He essentially replaces Hunter. Okay. So now on, on um, Husqvarna. You've got RJ, and I don't know who the second rider will be. You've got Volan, who leaves KTM. He's going to go over, and um, he ends up at Pro, at Pro Circuit. Hmm. So Pro Circuit is all the same three guys. You've got Hammaker, you've got Forkner, and you've got uh, Crashadu. And then you, so you've got your four there. So that's where the musical chairs are going to pretty much end for the year. What about uh, what about Jet Reynolds? Jet Reynolds has pretty much been let go. Okay, that was okay. Yep. Wow. Yep. I called that. Oh man, if it's hard being right this much, but I'm just gonna sit here and just bask in it for a second here. Yeah. Okay. Well, Moments and over. you think about it. You know, you've got Ryder D. So now he ends up moving away from the Kawasaki team and goes over to Gas Gas. Can you imagine if this kid was healthy when he came out of the pro ranks, what a difference his first two years would look like? I mean, between Ryder D and Jet, I mean, we've not seen anything since their quote-unquote domination in the amateur ranks. But it's the same carbon copy that you've seen with pretty much everybody on that Team Green program. Yeah, Brad West from Australia, Seth Hammaker, Styles Robertson before he went to Yamaha, um, Ryder D. A jet. I mean, it's just the list goes on and on, and it's just it's a shame because, as I as you and I have talked about both on and off the record together, the fatigue related issues that these guys are are dealing with as they transition from top amateur to going pro is avoidable, but the programs don't seem to give two shits. Yeah. And what am I supposed to say? Anybody who knows my background, they're like, "Oh, well, that's easy for you to say." Well, my phone rings both ways. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've never had one athlete that I've ever worked with that has stayed with me. Like if I'm talking to a facility that the rider is working at and the rider's getting overworked and I let the facility know it and then they choose not to make an adjustment to the volume of riding on the track and the intensity, I part ways with them. Not because I've got a, a burr up my bonnet. I can't watch an athlete just bury themselves when everybody who supposedly who cares about the athlete is going to let a facility and or a person running the facility run an athlete into the ground, even though the biofeedback indicators validate 
that they're on a fast track to Epstein-Barr or chronic fatigue. Yep. And then they go pro and they have to make a public de- declaration that they have EBV, Epstein-Barr virus. What am I supposed to say? I told you so. That's a dickhead thing to say. Yeah. But if I hold my ground, then I get told, you don't tell me what to do on the motorcycle. I'm the riding coach. I'm like, okay, well, when I tell you that you're doing too much, not based on my opinion, but by the fact that the athletes are running to the ground, resting heart rate, body battery, suppressed appetite, night sweat, all these, and you tell me that you're not going to listen because you have all this quote-unquote previous success and experience, I have to tap out because I can't watch you ruin an individual. And then when they go pro and then they do a public declaration that they can't race the summer race because they have Epstein-Barr, what am I supposed to say? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's exactly. bad, man. Yep. Nope. It is. I mean, yeah, it's amateur series. It, amateur it's so avoidable. Is, is a thing for sure. So, yeah. <sighs> but, but now you go into the, you know, let's get into the pro ranks. When you look at the idea that these guys are riding injured, they're riding exhausted, they're riding, you know, calorie restricted. Yeah. Um, I still, I still can't help but laugh out loud when you have the talking puppets, who screamed up and down that there was a certain program that was going to turn Malcolm around, what happened? Um, you know, you had these people that went over to that program. Uh, Plessinger was supposed to just come out and, and kill it. Uh, what happened with Webb, right? Everybody said he couldn't win because he wasn't on the program, and he comes back, and all of a sudden there's some adjustments made to the bike, and both riders excel, even though one rider was on the program, the other one wasn't. The results are more directly related to the bike, But yet what's interesting is the talking puppets, and I've said this to you before off the record, what makes these athletes extremely frustrated is when the athlete starts doing better, it's the training program. But when they're doing shit, it's all on the rider. Yep. And and it drives these guys absolutely out of their minds. Because if you look at the fact that both Cooper and Plessinger have gotten a little bit more comfortable with the frame, whatever, it's because it's a new chassis, new setup, whatever. But as soon as the bike gets kind of situated – the rider doesn't get credit for figuring it out or helping the team figure it out. It's this ancillary program. And it's, you know, you're going to tell me that Cooper Webb's fitness is really that much different than the year before. And, and I've said this to you off the record. What I find a little bit humorous is when an athlete gets tired of paying a boatload of money and separates himself from a program and he's physically exhausted. The talking puppets will say, see, the reason why he's not doing well is because he left the program. (laughs) The reason why he's not doing well is because he's fucking exhausted. Yeah. So he takes a year off from the grind, does everything he can do to get back to feeling somewhat healthy, recharges his batteries, and now, see, he was forced to go back to a program, and now that he's back with a program, isn't that a miraculous narrative? If you're not with me then somebody else will win. Well, guess what? That narrative didn't materialize last year, but the three talking puppets have had nothing to say about what they declared in their preseason show. Oh, this is going to be a game changer. Well, when it wasn't, see, that's the problem I have is that the door has to swing both ways. If you're going to give a program and every, and I love it, you'll get the keyboard words. Oh, coach Rob sounds jaded. Why? I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm speaking on behalf of the riders that are completely pissed off that when they regroup and come back from something, it's the program. But if they separate because they're tired of being exhausted and spending a lot of money, then it's on them. I don't have a dog in the fight. I could give two shits who works out with what trainer 
as a pro because the pro is so volatile. Let's face it. Every pro is looking for somebody else to blame other than themselves. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. But I don't work in the world of emotions. I work in quantification. And when I start to use quantification, the people who shy away from it are the ones that are afraid of it because it puts the accountability back on the program and the rider. The rider likes it, but usually the facilities don't. Now, that I find somewhat interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I only interpret the data. I don't, I don't have an opinion. I'm only interpreting the data from what I, what I see and what I find. The rider training at a facility and a rider training under a level of exhaustion, I don't own that. I, I don't have any jealousy. I have no, like I said, I, the riders that call me, that ask me to interpret the data, I don't, even, I don't even put together their training programs. I'm just interpreting data. And when I see an athlete, I had an, a situation this past week, Trav. On yeah. Monday, a guy called me. He got his, or excuse me, he called, we talked on Thursday. He got his blood work back on Monday of the same week. And he was completely distraught because his blood work came back that he was diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus. And he's training with a high-profile trainer and came back and said, how did this happen? And so I walked him through it. And he's like, if I had found you 10 years ago, I wouldn't be going through this. I said, yeah, but that's not my wheelhouse. You only called me and paid me to help you interpret the data. You've got the blood work. I can't fabricate blood results. All I can do is help you understand what caused your Epstein-Barr virus to get a hold of you. Now, whether you're working with trainer XYZ or you're at facility A, B, or C, um, I, I, I don't have any dog in that fight. That's what I think is funny about the keyboard warriors. You know, that's where our business is different. Yes, I do work with a lot of elite athletes, but most of my work is trying to get people to understand the fatigue they put their body under, not just this mindset, especially if you go and you listen to Gypsy Tales and you listen to Carrie Hart talk about some other programs where the, the, the program literally boasts about the fact that they don't care if they ruin an individual. They just want to say, well, I, I take claim for having so many championships. Well, if you really want to get nitty-gritty and you look at how many athletes he's ruined versus how many athletes he's created championships out of, yeah, the ruining outweighs the championships almost four to one. But, of course, the talking puppets don't talk about that. And if you bring it up, which is what I absolutely love, right? If you bring it up, now you're jaded. Now you have a bone to pick. And I'm like, wow, you're losing sight of the point of the conversation. You have someone that is ruining athletes, goes on a public forum and says, I don't care about the athlete's health. I only care about winning championships because it pads my pocket. And yet, if you shed light on that, then somehow you have... You have a visceral bone to pick. Does this, does this, happen, to, does this happen to rhyme with uh, Schmaker's Macri? Or <laughs> well, it, it just all the people have to do is you know, especially for those that have taken the time to jump on the keyboard. Um, I just find it very interesting that when I try to bring the attention to the reality of it, like on the shit show on Friday, people said, "Oh, coach is a conspiracy theorist," or "Coach is Debbie Downer." And like I said in the comments, I'm not Debbie Downer. If you're asking me about a program, if you're asking me why athletes get out of the, a certain level, uh, let's say the top amateur into pros, and they're so physically and mentally exhausted they can't excel with the opportunity that's been given to them, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you what the catalyst for that fatigue is related to. I don't care where they train or who they train with. Your question was, 
why is rider X, Y, and Z not accelerating, excelling rather at now that they've gone into the pro ranks? Well, when I tell you that answer, and because they're not my personal clients, oh, you have a bone to pick with so-and-so. I don't have a bone to pick with anybody. Our business model is way, way completely removed from whether you're working with trainer X, Y, or Z. And and, and the reason why I've gone down this bunny this bunny trail here is going back to what we just said earlier, is when you look at the opportunity, is does Jet have a better platform or did Jet have a better platform than Deegan? No, he did not. Deegan's platform jumping into the pro ranks was way more polished than the Honda platform. Just talk to Jeremy Martin, talk to Yoder, talk to all of the guys that were on the Geico Honda. Those guys were on struggle bus trying to keep up with the star Yamaha bikes. They bridged that gap and the results speak for themselves with both Hunter and Jet. So, uh, so you really think Anderson's going to sign a one-year deal with Cowie here for next season? It's already done. It's already done. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's already done. So he signs a one-year deal with Cowie. That gets him to 24. That gives him a chance to go with Bobby. Um, you know, that, that gives Bobby Hewitt and, and Jason a chance to be back together. Um, you, you know, you have all of these little pieces on the 250 side of things that fall into place. Like I said, if they end up inking most of them, and they want a championship contender, and obviously, Mosman's having less than an ideal season. Yeah. So you have Ryder D that ends up over there, and uh, Mosman ends up over at Triumph. Hmm. Super interesting there. Super interesting. Yeah. I had I had big money on Anderson taking a year off and then coming back in twenty four with Triumph, like just not riding next year. Because like he. Yeah, I mean it would it would make sense. I mean it's like yesterday, right? Can you imagine Jason saying, "Hey, my baby was born on Friday." I, I'm going to go ahead and sit this weekend out, and everybody would go absolutely apeshit. Yeah. Well, look at his result. He pulled out of the race anyway, so the points lost would have been exactly the same. Now, I know we're armchair quarterbacking this on Sunday afternoon, but, you know, if yeah, you're that yeah. exhausted or whatever, I mean, come on. That was that was a stupid thing anyway. I mean, when they're saying like, oh, yeah, so his kid was born at 1.30. At 10.30 this morning, he was here at the track. What? Get the yeah. fuck out of here. Come on. Like, yep. like, dude, it, I, I'm not one of those, here, I'm not one of those loony leftists here say, talking about, you know, but, uh, uh, paternity leave or whatever, but like, yeah. he's, he's not, he's not in the title fight. Who gives a shit? Well, but, but here's the funny part. It's kind of like we talk about with injuries, right? So if somebody doesn't ride injured, they don't get a gate drop. They're depending on the contract is written. They're going to get financially docked for not rolling around the track. So when you and, and this is where I have a little bit of a problem. Now again, just take it for face value. Please don't go deep and long with this whole thought. Jason Anderson's on a factory bike. He couldn't finish a fucking fifth twenty-minute moto plus one. Yeah. Like I know you're tired, dude. But I my top triathletes. If we have a great day at Ironman Hawaii. We're at like seven forty seven hours and forty two minutes of fucking racing. And you're telling me that you can't handle twenty plus two? Ando doesn't want to be there anymore. Like you can tell. His whole his whole demeanor is different since last year. So But 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 I want the I want the listeners to really stop and think about this, right? Let's do some math. Just real quick. Just just bear, just patronize me here. If you're making one point two million, that's a hundred grand a month. That's just from the OEM. Let's say just for even numbers, you're making the same amount from Alpine Star. Just figuratively speaking, that's two hundred grand a month. 
not counting Bell, not counting Arai, not counting anybody. Just a gear deal. That's not counting Oakley. That's not counting all these little ancillaries. $200,000 a month is coming into your mailbox for an OEM and a gear deal. You have a chance to win $100,000 per weekend. Let's say you win only two of four. Now you're at four hundred grand a month. And I find it extremely humorous. When I've got professional triathletes, we've, we've got Boston Marathon tomorrow. Our top guys, they're around two hours and 12, two hours and 15 minutes. We're not going to win tomorrow, but we've got guys and girls that are, they'll be around the top 20, right? They're racing their asses off for two and a half hours. And Jason Anderson can't race for 20 fucking minutes plus two? I find it extremely humorous that for for 200 grand a month, you can't suck it up when there's only nine factory 450 bikes in the main event. Now, again, I may be sounding like a total asshole here. Maybe he was injured. Maybe he wasn't feeling good or whatever, but he pulled off the track. I think, because I think he pulled out, it was after the halfway point, was he not? Oh, no. Pulled- uh, let me see here. Let me go to the 450 results. <sighs> Let's see here. So he did nine laps, and they did 15 laps total, so he's six laps. So, yeah, so he did over half the race. And then when he pulled out, I don't know if it was because of an injury or a mechanical, but let's assume that it's neither of those. And then somebody's going to tell me that making two hundred grand a month for racing, let's say you race four consecutive weekends. You're talking about racing 80 minutes in the main event. The, the qualifiers are, what, six or eight minutes long? I mean, it's pretty yeah. negligible. Yep. Now, stop and think about this. You've got, a quali- you've got two time practices. You've got a qualifier and a main event. Qualifiers, let's just round everything up. Ten minutes for qualifier one, ten minutes for qualifier two, ten minutes for the qualifier for the night show and a main event. So 10, 10, and 10 is 30, plus another 20 minutes, 55 minutes? And you couldn't finish the race making two hundred grand a year base salary, or two hundred grand a month base salary. Yeah. When I've got athletes, now again, I'm not saying my triathletes are tougher than our motocross guys. I just find it absolutely fascinating when you've got some of the top ranked triathletes in the world that are making less than a million a year total. <laughs> that includes endorsements. That includes prize money. That includes appearance money. That includes everything. And a good day at an Ironman is seven and a half hours. A good day at a half Ironman is three and a half. Three and a half hours, a top marathon or seven, two hours and 30 minutes. I just, I find it interesting when people want to scoff at the idea that we are not building athletes that are mentally and physically durable. And it starts with the amateur ranks where you've got these kids that can't transition from amateur to pro because they're chewed up by the system and no one gives two shits. And then you have a pro that there's only nine bikes on the track that are factory, and he couldn't stick it out. I, I just, I, I don't know. Sometimes I ask myself, what are we doing? This is what I love about Mitch Payton, right? You get a nominal salary, and everything is bonus-based. You, 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 you go on a tear like Ricky Carmichael did when he was riding for him. You're going to make good money. Yep. But you give these guys fat contracts, and what do you get? You get somebody who pulls out after lap number nine. There's no other explanation for it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. 
I'm blown away by it. I just don't understand. And I would love if somebody can keep their emotions under control and just have an adult conversation. Look me in the eyes and, and legitimately explain to me why. Now, I'm assuming there's no mechanical and there's nothing physically going wrong. But how many times, and I hate to say this because it sounds anti-American, how many times have we heard Jet say, yeah, I was under the weather this week and I raced? If I'm not mistaken, I think RJ said that last week. Was one of the 250 riders said they were riding under the weather. Yeah. Yep. Right? And so, so if so if, if, if I understand Anderson's tired, but for the love of God, man, how many people have gone to work tired? And I don't... Most of the people I know aren't making two hundred grand a month. A month. I'm tired every day. Every fucking day. And look at the work that you do. I don't I've been, you know, I'm, just so the listeners know, I've seen the work that you do. You work your fucking ass off. And you aren't making two hundred grand a month. And if it is, it's gross, not net. I'm lucky if I make two grand a month, coach. Like I'm broke as shit yeah. over here. <laughs> yeah. And you work your ass off. Yeah. My point being is and again, this isn't redistribution of wealth. I just have an extreme problem with the fact that a rider pulls out. Now, in defense of Jason Anderson, I'm going to kind of contradict myself. What I think is ridiculous is, hey, my baby was just born yesterday. I'm staying home. Like you said earlier, he's not in the points race. Well, if he had done that, he'd be absolutely blackballed. Yeah. Absolutely blackballed. And what's the end result? He ended up losing that night, all day, that night, because he can't get a red eye. I mean, even if he jumps on a plane one hour after the race, he's still two or three hours from getting back to home because they live in California. Yeah. So what does the guy get? A, a loss, 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 loss. But if he had said he just tapped out of the race because his child was born and he's not in the points race, he would be absolutely blackballed by all the keyboard warriors. That, that's why I'm saying I'm contradicting myself. If yeah. you're going to show up for the race, then you suck it up, Buttercup. Go do it. Yep. If you're not, the industry should say, "Hey, look, dude, we respect you're not in the you're not in the title hunt." But I also remember a certain somebody, Ricky Carmichael, who fucking flew in a helicopter from Tallahassee. I was standing right there when Ricky landed his helicopter with the Arnett helicopter. Yep. Ursula had just had those babies. He took a helicopter, Arnett helicopter, from Tallahassee to Florida, land. Excuse me, Orlando. Landed on the paddock. You remember his uh, right-hand man, Scott? I can't remember his name. Scott something or another. Blonde-haired guy. Was always Ricky's right-hand man. He had a golf cart. Ricky got out, got on the golf cart. He went, and he battled with James Stewart. Yeah, he lost that night, but he wasn't making excuses for putting on his big boy britches and hauling ass. Yep. And he just had twins, and I'm sure he was up all night as well. Yeah. Again, man, I just... You just have to step back a little bit and and really look at the bigger picture of everything. Yep. So, well, Coach, we've been at this for an hour and a half here. Anything else you want to touch on here, man? No, I, um, I'm really pumped to see what happens on this East-West shootout. Um, I know there's a lot of hype with uh, Hunter and Jet. What I'm really interested in is, is kind of seeing the, the ancillary. Where does the RJ settle in with this? Um, you know, Hunter has been getting such good starts. It'll be interesting to see what happens. 450, like we talked about at the onset, it's going to be interesting for its own reason. So, uh, can Saturday night can't get here fast enough? Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I'm glad we don't have any more off weeks because off weeks are weird <laughs> for me. Yeah, you feel like something's missing, don't you? Exactly. I'm just like, I don't know what to do with my whole entire weekend here because I have nothing to do. There's no show to record. There's no show to watch. There's there's no nothing. I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with my hands. That's exactly it. 
well, I'm not sure why Justin and Cole couldn't make it, but I miss those guys, and, and I hope everybody's doing well, and uh, I hope your family's doing well. Obviously, tell Mom I said hello. Will do, man. Will do. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you, sir. You bet, brother. Appreciate your time. Yep. Later. Thank you. All right. Coach Rob, brought to you by CompleteRacingSolutions.com. Make sure to check them out here. Um, all right. Let's jump back into this 450 rundown I was doing here. Um, so we talked about Kenny there in third, fourth place, Cooper Webb. Cooper was not happy. He straight up said on the, on the interview after the race that he legitimately rode like shit and was not pumped. He did finish ahead of Eli. So he gained a point on Eli, but not enough to make Webb happy. Tomac gets a fifth. And this is what we're going to see out of Tomac as coach touched on in our whole, whole segment there. Um, he, uh, he, he's not going to push push it at all he's he's basically doing what he's doing and uh yeah he's he's just going to i think for lack of a better term try to ride out this thing he all he has to do is keep chase within eyesight there if he doesn't win any of these anymore and uh he'll pull this out and have his third supercross title here ap sixth very quiet day. Didn't really see much of him. That's just kind of the way AP is. Adam C and Cirillo took a huckabuck ride through those whoops there. Things were happening very fast for him in that heat race there. Um, but he did get up, so that was good. Ended up seventh, so so good ride for him. Uh, Dino back in the top ten there with an eighth place. Good ride there. Colt Nichols got a good start, was running up front a little bit there. Ninth place. That's not bad for Colt. He just He's doing what he needs to do here at this point, being in the top 10. I just don't know where, what the future holds for Colt here. Um, the Hill Brothers, Justin gets 10th. Josh gets 11th. Those guys are just killing it this year. Um, for the team they're on, for the work they put in, I mean, this is this is as good as I think it can be for them. So great to see them in there. Uh, Shane McElrath back up to 12th. That's a good finish for him. Benny finished 13th. That's okay. Chiz, 14th. Uh, he... Chiz, in my opinion, should be battling up there right right towards that top 10 um, because he's, in my opinion, he's better than Benny, he's better than Shane, and he's better than the Hill Brothers. So he should be, <coughs> sorry, he should be battling up there. Uh, Freddie Norn, 15th, that's pretty typical for Freddie. Friend of the show, Kevin Moran, 16th, that's pretty typical for him there. Um, good ride for him, though. It, uh, good start, but... Um, not not necessarily uh, the greatest start he's ever had, but getting back to 16th, that was good because he made some passes. Grant Harlan, 17th. I don't know what happened with him. Josh Cartwright, 18th. Starling, 19th. Jared Lesher, 20th uh, on a two-stroke, which is awesome. Uh, we talked about Jason Anderson running nine laps and then pulling off, getting 21st. And Kate Clayson rounds out the main event there in 22nd. And I'm actually surprised he was in there because Cade has been hurt. Um, so super interesting, uh, that he's there. Um, and that's going to be your 450 race recap there again, brought to you by our friends at, uh, gutter works always well hung like Justin Barsha here. Um, let's talk a little two fifties here. So sorry, coach is a talker and, uh, he, we start talking and we just go in every different direction. So it's hard for us to get through all of the uh, race results like we like to. So 
Um, all right, so 250 race results here. So Hunter Lawrence picks up another win. He is just the class of the field in this 250 East Coast Championship. In fact, he's he can wrap this next week here um, if he finishes third or better, which I think uh, I think will be the case. So, man, barring anything catastrophic happening here, Hunter's going to win a 250 title, which is going to be awesome. Um, Jordan Smith rode really well yesterday, kept it off the ground, but again, he lacks the consistency, but picking up a second place, that was a super, super, super good ride for Jordan Smith there. Uh, Hayden Deegan, he gets third, and that was a great third for him. He got the whole shot, led some laps, so that was kind of cool. He did it in the in the heat race, too. Um so that was kind of interesting to watch him uh, watch him lead some laps. He made that mistake in the heat race there. He say he scrubbed too hard, clicked into neutral by accident. That kind of stuff will happen. Again, I think next year is really going to be a good year for him there. But right now, he's just doing what he needs to do, which is just learning. Uh, Joe Schmoda comes back, gets fourth. That's a good ride for Joe. He had a terrible start and worked his way forward there and almost caught Deegan at the end. Um, so props to Joe, because I know he's not happy with that bike. So the fact that he was able to make, get the start, run up front, that kind of stuff, that's really, really good for him. Uh, Max Anstey, I question what's going on with Max Anstey. He started off this championship just on fire and the last few rounds have just not been, not been great. I don't know if it's bike related. I don't know if it's him related, but fifth place for Max Anstey. So like, it's not terrible, but it's not great for him. Uh, Henry Miller, sixth. That's a super good ride for Henry Miller. Uh, Chris Blow, seventh. Talon Hawkins, eighth. Colin Park, ninth. Oh, Colin Park and who is... Oh, uh, Cody Shock, his teammate there. Wild crash yesterday. Um, Caden Braswell, tenth. That's a good finish for Caden. Marshall Welton, eleventh. Good finish for Michigan's own Marshall Welton there. Jeremy Hand, 12th, Gage Limville, 13th, Luke Neese, 14th, Michael Hicks, 15th, The Cat, 16th, TJ Albright, 17th, Cody Shock, 18th, Nate Thrasher, oh, that's that's not good. When you go off on a stretcher as a rider, that's really not good. So I feel for that kid. He's been having a pretty good year, but man, he just, here we go again. Him and Smith, same guys, super balls fast, but lack consistency. Um... Jace, Jace Owen, 20th. Jeremy Martin went down uh, in that rhythm section coming back towards the start straight. Uh, we saw you saw you can see it on TV there. Um, so he went down, ended up 21st. I knew I was in trouble. He was on my fantasy team. I was in a lot of trouble when I saw him riding around without his goggles there getting lapped by the leaders. So that was cool. And Tom Bial had a big one and pulled off and DNF'd. So that is your 250 race recap there, kind of for what I saw. Uh, hopefully next week, let's see here. Where are we at next week here? Oh, we're at uh, New Jersey here. Uh, so hopefully next week we will have someone in studio with us. I do apologize for having to kind of do this solo show. If not, I will be more prepared for a solo show to uh, kind of really give you guys a breakdown of what I saw during the race there and really, really be more professional we'll call it so thanks to coach rob for coming on really appreciate that thanks everyone for tuning in make sure to comment down below on any of the thoughts you have with what's going on uh in the sport any of the stuff we touched on me and coach touched on a lot of stuff um you know ducati triumph silly season stuff all the all the good points we touched on make sure to comment down below for all of that uh thanks to our sponsors complete racing solutions tlr coatings holster code 
Gutterworks, Adept Creative Co., Isaac Nelson Designs, and Edgewood Farms. Thank you, thank you all for supporting us. And uh, we'll be back next week with another show. Later.